0: Hello, hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to Now What? This is episode number 16, and I am Gabriele Zanaro, your host. Um, we're going to interview, this time, Ken G. Ken is a great guy. I had one of the most beautiful, beautiful conversations with him. Uh, we had a blast together and we talked for more than three hours but no worries, this episode is going to be only one hour (laughs) and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things Ken is a data scientist and a content creator he has a channel with 80,000 subscribers and more on YouTube uh, talking about data science and uh, his projects and everything he's doing, so check him out Uh, he's doing great stuff in there I wish I knew him before uh, so I could have had an um, a edge on everybody else, because he's giving you that edge. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about data science, how to break into the field when you have no experience or experience in another field. And um, we're going to talk about sports, entrepreneurship, and many, many other things. Ken is very interesting. And we, uh, we we talked about a lot of things, even even about fasting, and just a little about that. So. I hope you will enjoy this episode and I'll see you later. Hello, Ken. Ken G, I am a fan and uh, I, I am truly grateful that you
1: are, that you accepted to be on the podcast. So welcome to Now What? Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I've listened to quite a few of the other podcasts. So I'm in good company with a lot of the people that have come on, and hopefully my story, my message can help people navigate this data science career path a little bit more effectively. Yeah,
0: yeah, and all the work that you have done, and plus this podcast is going to be helpful, and you're truly a a mentor for for me, and I hope that who didn't discover you yet is going to discover you, uh, at least my community, uh, via this podcast, so uh, thank you for listening for
1: the, the to, to the episode. Thank you yeah, yeah, you produce good stuff, so I'm always happy to learning a thanks. lot. <laughs> thanks. okay, so the first the
0: first the first question I want to ask you it is very difficult to uh, get to know your background via via website We via, via, via the web. You don't put a lot of information about your background in there. so I, I'm pretty curious about it. Can you tell me your journey your journey beginning from high school? how did you get into? Uh, into college, and then uh, the the end of the story should be: How did you get into data science? How did you discover about data science?
1: Yeah, it's a long story, so I hope you've got time. But we got time, man. <laughs> <laughs> so in in high school, I was a very a terrible student. I wasn't interested in academics. All I wanted to do was play sports. So I played golf and I played baseball. And yeah, you know, I was recruited to to do both of those in college. I ended up playing golf in college. I mean, that was the thing that I was most passionate about. I I barely went to any of my classes. I barely scooted by Um, and I was always focused on how to improve my performance. So even without being interested in academics, I started tracking my, my own stats when I was playing golf. And I realized that I could use this to improve what I was doing there. I could see where I was making the most errors in my game and I could go about correcting those or working on those areas to make sure that I was getting the most bang for my buck in terms of practicing time. I eventually in school, I went through like six different majors. I think I started with psychology. I took some environmental science classes. I did health exercise science. I think I did uh, like general business finance and I ended up in economics. But I took my first economics course, and it really resonated with me. It it matched how I viewed the world. It it showed me that I could understand performance. I could understand people through numbers, through graphs, through trends, whatever that might be. And this was completely pivotal in my life. I'd never um, had a framework for viewing the world like that. So it's like, hey, I can understand consumer behavior. I can understand how I should price a product. I should understand much time I should spend practicing on a certain area because there's opportunity cost of time. So if I spend, uh, if people are familiar with golf, if I spend an hour practicing on uh, my approach shots, that's an hour I can't spend practicing putting or driving. So how should I most effectively allocate that time? But basically that first economics course and my love of sports really spurred my interest into diving into sports through the numbers further. So early on, I started to develop this this great interest in that intersection between the sports that I was playing and how to understand them from numbers in general. So after college, I went. I tried to play professional golf for about I guess six months, um, and I realized again this opportunity cost concept that hey, if I spent five years doing this and I didn't make it, what was I forgoing? There are you know, there were starting to be, I was starting to see other things that I would be interested in doing specific specifically around the analytics space or with sports that I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't have the proper education, the proper background, the proper understanding of that field so I took six months and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to try and break into a field where I can learn more about these analytical skills. So I applied to get a master's in global commerce at the University of Virginia. I ended up getting in. I took the GMAT while I was still playing tournaments and uh, I did well enough to get into school. Before I started that program, I actually worked at this company called DraftKings. And so in the US, DraftKings is one of the biggest daily fantasy sports websites. And Mm -hmm. now they're starting to get in pretty heavily into the sports gambling space. I just looked their stock was up quite a bit today, which made me happy because I bought a little bit. So um, that's (laughs) always a little bit of a win. But there I learned a lot more about the technical skills you needed for this space. They were doing sports analytics at a high scale, trying to optimize the competitions. And I got exposed to SQL, I got exposed to R, I got exposed to Python. These are tools I had never even considered working with before. But I saw how important they were for, for this broader field that I wanted to get into. So in that master's degree, I I did end up learning a little bit of SQL. I did end up learning quite a few different machine learning techniques. But back then we were doing it in SPSS, which wasn't very practical for me. So after that, uh, after I finished that degree, I went and I worked in management consulting again, for about six months to a year until I realized that I absolutely did not like it. It was not for me. I wasn't doing enough technical work. It was quite a grind. You know, I was working all the time uh, and and I just didn't enjoy the nature of of the work at all. I also felt huge imposter syndrome because what I was doing was uh, like software development lifecycle consulting and also project management consulting. And I had never worked on a software team. I also had no clue about, I'd never written a line of code at that point in my life. So how can I be telling the head of software development or like the head of DevOps or the CIO of the company what they should be doing if I've never had any exposure to their world? It was, I was a complete phony. So at that same time, I realized one, I was a phony and two, well, how do I go about getting these skills uh, that would match my sports analytics data science interests that I was developing at the time. And so I was like, look, I realized from my last degree that SPSS isn't the way programming is going to be the future of data science or, or the future of the problem solving that I was interested in. So I decided to go back and get my master's in computer science. Again, at this point, never having written a line of code one, I thought it would be a really cool challenge for me. It would be extremely difficult, which it was, especially starting out. I kind of picked up steam as I went. But if I could tackle the computer science aspects, I already had a good business understanding. I thought that would really put me ahead of a lot of other candidates because, you know, they're they're either coming from business and they're um, slowly biting off a little bit more of the computer science stuff or they're coming from computer science and they're slowly biting off the business things. I was coming from a master's degree in business, like what if I went all in and did a master's degree in computer science as well and, and had at least at the time what I thought to be the most credibility from academics in both of those areas. So mm-hmm. I think that, that that has paid off for me in the longer term, but I wouldn't recommend a master's degree, even one master's degree to most people trying to break into the field. I think they're really expensive. It's a big time suck. You can use your time a lot more effectively, but I digress <laughs> back to my story here. So during that master's in computer science degree, I started working at scouts consulting group as a data scientist. That's where I still work. It was started by one of my friends and I was one of the very early employees. And the nice thing about working at a small company is I could apply almost all of the things that I was working on in school to the work that I was doing in the field. And so at Scouts, we do sports analytics consulting. We work mainly in golf and basketball. So I was working on the exact types of problems that I was interested in. I was applying what I was learning in school on a daily basis. And I think that really springboarded my journey into becoming a, a true data scientist, becoming a, a true sports uh, sports analytics person, is that I was able to, you know learn and iterate and do projects all at the same time. So I guess that's kind of how I ended up in my current working position. At that same time, I realized that me coming from business was not a traditional path into computer science. I mean into, into data science. And I started making YouTube videos because I wanted people to understand what my journey was like if they were interested in making that transition as well. I had a lot of fun making them. I, I think I produced my first YouTube video in grad school still for one of my class projects. I just posted it because I had to share it with the class with the professor. And I didn't realize on YouTube, you could make an unlisted or private link. So I just like uploaded it. I was like, ah, whatever, no one's going to watch it. And then I came back maybe three months later and it had a lot of views for me at the time. It was maybe 600, 1,000 views. And I was like, oh my goodness, I, people like to watch this stuff. And so <laughs> there's a couple important takeaways from that. The first is I had a little bit of traction. I had momentum on YouTube. And I was like, wow, if I build, you know, if I make more, there are already a couple people watching. You can build on that. You know, it's hard to start from a dead stop. Uh, the other thing is that I, I realized I really enjoyed the video making the editing process and what a, you know, what a fun hobby, what a cool way to put myself out there. So I was never, you know, building my YouTube portfolio to, to get a job or anything like that. But over time, it has helped me it, it, ha- it has uh, created a lot of opportunities for me. And hopefully it's really helped a lot of other people break in, which was the, the main goal, the main onus, the, the main focus there. Mhm. Wow. Uh,
0: and Told there is the a long lot. story, man. <laughs> and there is a lot of things that I want to ask you about yeah, uh, for, sure. for for follow-ups. Uh, it's very interesting. I didn't know that part, uh, especially the um, the golf part that not interest the student uh, in business. And I think this is great because data science is something that a lot of people seem un- un- untangible. And and you are the the pure demonstration that with hard work and with with a little bit of passion and trying to find the niche that you're interested in, uh, that can actually be the path for you. And that is that is really 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 interesting. And um, and so uh, you 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 started as a business and then transitioned into computer science. You right. said one thing before that that I want to dig a little bit more into it it is you would you wouldn't recommend though, the master in computer science for somebody that wants to start in data science, right? What would you recommend then? What would you, what, what would you, what would you say to somebody that is coming from a business background or is coming from a background that is not that, um, technical and wants to break in into data science? What, what are some resources you would recommend? What, what would you, what would you tell to them?
1: Well, so I'd like to talk, more broadly about a lot of the things that you just said. So the first is that, you know, I came from the business background into this field. I, data science seems very unapproachable to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people look at data science completely backwards. They look at, hey, the end goal is to get into the field. Right? From, from my experience, the end goal is to solve a problem that you're crazy about, right? I was crazy about understanding how to measure performance or how to predict performance in sports. And all of the data science tools I learned on the way to solving that problem. So I would focus more on a problem you want to solve. Say, oh, I want to, you know, even if it's like something really basic, oh, I want to end world hunger, right? Focus on solving (laughs) that problem and you'll accumulate the tools over the course of solving that or, or attempting to solve that. And so to me, that's a lot more of, I mean, solving a world hunger is not an attainable goal, but building the tools or, or building the data expertise to approach that problem is a lot more attainable and specific than learning data science. Because the field of data science is so big. I will never know all of data science, right? Sure. I will never know all of machine learning. Why would I set that as a, a goal if I'm just constantly going to be disappointed? I can mm. you know, build a model to predict who will play well in the next golf tournament right? That is something I can do. And with a concrete outcome, I can build the concrete steps to create the pipeline for for all the skills needed to, to produce that. So my thought is turn, turn the equation around and say, what problem am I trying to solve? Let's learn all the skills needed for that. And then I can look back and say, oh my goodness, I'm a data scientist. I've learned all these skills from solving this problem. So mm-hmm. that would be my, initial recommendation there in terms of um, in terms of the courses or the tools you will use to get into the field. There's plenty out there for free. I really like, excuse me. You got it. I like uh, Kaggle.com is one of my favorite ones. They have free online micro courses. They're, they're really good. Also, I work with 365 data science. There's that's an online certificate pretty much all of these online certificates are really good those are good would, ways to uh, uh, 365 data
0: science There's would you ones. pick would you pick one of those instead of a of a master in computer in computer science or of a master in data science would you pick those uh,
1: so I, I think that looking at that looking at it that way is a bit one dimensional because sure you know with one of those if you take a certificate and you do awesome project work and you network, you're going to get a lot more out of the time that you put in and the money that you put in than you would from a master's degree. Right. So if I took the same, you know, let's say I, in the U.S., I have to spend maybe 20 to $30,000 on a master's degree. I have to invest full time for, yeah, in probably even more. I have to invest full time for, um, you know, basically a, a year minimum. Let's say that that's, what uh hours ish right Mm -hmm. and so i get a master's degree but and and i get the knowledge but what else have i accumulated right i mean i don't have work experience i don't have any of these things Mm -hmm. if i spent those same two thousand hours and thirty thousand dollars uh you know on a certificate which maybe costs five hundred dollars um built you know in those two thousand hours how many projects or how much hands-on experience I could get. I could volunteer, I could do plenty of things. Um, and then also, if I spent a lot of that time networking, I think I would be a lot further ahead with without going a master's degree route, both financially and both career-wise, if I use that time effectively. For some people though, to be completely transparent, they're not good at using their time efficiently. And that sure. for those people, if they do have the money, a master's degree makes plenty of sense, right? Um, A master's degree also has benefits, like you can get an internship probably more easy if if you're doing a master's degree program, right? Uh, But from my perspective, if I had to go back and um, if I had a little bit more self-discipline, I would have 100% gone the the certificate certificate. and project route, right? At the same time, at that time, during both of my degrees, I did not have the self-discipline to to learn it on my own. So they worked out well for me. I mean, I still have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, uh, which luckily I'm fortunate enough, I can can manage with with my work. But, um, you know, there is a, a, a huge financial end time cost to doing one of these master's degrees. And it's not a decision that should be taken lightly, but it's also not a one size fits all answer. You have to really understand yourself, understand your limitations. If you're a great self-starter and you're like, look, I organize my time really well. I know that I will do what it takes to get into this field, given the time and I can structure, there's absolutely no reason to pursue continued education because you can make your own opportunities very easily. I mean, you might even, if you're working on data science projects for 2000 hours, one of them might even become a business and you won't even need to get a job, right? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's. It's one of those types of things is that if if you if you build it out, if you invest the time, you'll be shocked at what you you can accomplish in that amount of time
0: yeah yeah, and I'm a huge believer in that that you, you at least you should have the, the the thought that you have you have to think through the to get a master and to put the the money that that needs to get into a master for things that actually you can learn online, like many of the resources that are online. Uh, they can they can be even better than a, than, a, than, a, than a master degree uh, I think uh, talking for me it, it is for my I, I have a computer science degree but most of my skills I picked it up online The things that that I will need in the future for computer science I picked it up online because I was researching uh, my own things right so so definitely definitely thank you for that I hope that that is going to help a lot of people as well. Two follow-ups. Also, from, yeah,
1: uh, hopefully they'll <laughs> save them some money too. You never know.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, like it's all right. Yeah, it, it is a lot of money going to a master. That I'm talking. I'm talking this passionate about this this topic because it's I'm graduating in December. In the January I need to decide what I want to do. Right? And do I want to go for a master? Do I want to accelerate my skills? What do I want to do? So yeah, those are questions that are going through my head and probably through head of many other people. So,
1: I so for, hearing that from you, it's. Yeah. It's great for me. I always think work experience or, or as much real world experience trumps degrees as much as you can. I mean, I had someone in my YouTube comment section yesterday. He's like, "I'm, I'm in the getting towards the end of my master's in data science. And none of these companies will even talk to me because I haven't had real world experience. I thought he's like, Oh, I thought this master's degree would be great. And it would give me all the skills, but you know, everyone's turning away because they, they want the thing that I that I gave up, right? And companies are fickle. The, require, the recruiting hiring process for a lot of data science roles is BS because they don't know what they want still. But at the same time, I would always look at it like, you know, my first approach is to try and get a job. If that doesn't work out, you should go get a master's degree. There's nothing wrong with that. But your mm-hmm. master's degree should be focused on getting internships. It should be buying you time. To create opportunities yeah yeah one of, one of the reasons i did go back to get a master's degree is i wanted to start a company i wanted to, to start a few different things and i was like look if i go to school i can buy time to start these things you know I, I can take out a little bit of student debt and it's worth it to me because i have that extra time to create and to produce none of the things that i produced in that time aside from the youtube channel really ended up being somewhat successful but I, i'm glad i took the time to develop those skills or to try and expand there
0: yeah great and yeah those skills are even if they don't turn into business as you said those are real work experience you can show and you can you can and you learn from those things it's like the most important thing for now for, for for in your 20s i believe is to build up skills that you will use in the future when you have a real business and so learning as much as you can so do things and yeah uh, thank you for that that is great <laughs> the follow up question that i had because it's very important uh, i think it is the you said that you worked into data science backward so you start from a problem that you really believe in uh, or you're really fascinated about and you work that backward so you 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 go for, you try to understand that problem fully and try to understand through numbers and data. Do you remember what problem was it? What exactly was the problem? How did you get started in, in, those, uh, in those numbers, uh, in those number ways? So if somebody else has the uh, same kind of path, uh, they, can, they can start their own project as well.
1: Yeah, so my first problem just came from my own personal life. My, the thing that I wanted to understand is how I could get better at golf. Right. That is the I didn't need any fancy techniques. I was recording all my scores in Excel. I was looking at the areas of my game that had the most deviation. I was looking at the whole types that I had the most problems with and I was taking That data and and just basically translating it into how I could improve on the course naturally as I As I expanded, I realized there was more things I could do. I I didn't just have to look at my own performance and try to improve. I could try to start to understand how other golfers would perform, how, how they would, if I could understand what would predict their outcomes in tournaments. So I got really into the daily fantasy sports for a while, trying to predict golf outcomes. That was my obsession. And that's where I learned a lot of the regression techniques. That's where I learned a lot of simulation techniques. And... As I went beyond that, I started to... And you were interested. still in
0: college, right? Sorry to
1: interrupt you. You were well, this, still in college. This was grad school time. when I was doing cool. the daily fantasy stuff. Yeah. The college was mostly my individual pursuit of understanding performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that grad school transition was, okay, how do I understand the daily fantasy stuff? Can I make money here? And I think I was net positive. I didn't do anything crazy. I it, Also, at the same time, I didn't have a tremendous amount of skills in that area. So. Uh, I was still developing, but I learned regression in school, but I learned how to apply it and I learned how to normalize it and do a bunch of those different things working on these projects. So the the questions you're trying to solve are the problems that it doesn't just have to be one big question. Maybe I made it seem like that. It can be a series of smaller questions where you pick up mm-hmm. a couple different random skills, right? So I learned in my my, my first pass at understanding my performance, a lot about statistics, probability theory, standard deviation, normal distributions, whatever that might be. Because if you look at all of my golf scores over the course of a year, they fit pretty closely to a normal distribution. Some days I have good days, some days I have bad days. What does that shape look like? You know, Can I uh, you know, decrease the, the standard deviation over time? Can I move the mean lower so I'm shooting better scores? And then I started in grad school to get into the predictive stuff. How many fantasy points do I expect this person to score on a given day? You know, the, there's some probability elements, whatever that might be as well. And then after that, we start getting into the other sports and looking at more sports analytics is, is this player, you know, for example, gonna win over the course of his PGA tour career? You know, what are the, what is the probability of that? Can I use logistic regression in that classification problem? So. I found a domain in sports where I could apply pretty much all of these different data science concepts, and it worked out really well for me because I was able to stick these concepts on to something that I was already very interested in. I I don't personally love data science for it being data science, right? I don't love reading about algorithms all the time. That doesn't really wet my whistle. But I love applying these things. I love what they can do. I love the questions that I can answer with the tools that I have. I mean, I don't, again, love coding, but coding is a huge means to an end. There's so many things. The world is so much bigger when you can program it. It's just the, you know, it's the utility belt for solving problems in 2020 going forward, I think. Yep. Yeah,
0: um, and yeah, this is great even because um, um, Personally, I, I I think that way as well. I, I was in business first, then I, I transitioned into computer science because I wanted to understand truly what what the whole software world that we are creating can what 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 kind of opportunities can open for me. And uh, and so I um, I want to ask another thing, and it is how did you go about like finding the resources you needed? Um, in, the, in solving the problem, right? So let's say you are in the middle of your project. You are trying to understand uh, how to maximize your golf, um, how to maximize your golf performance, and you need some statistic or you need some uh, you need some some skills that you don't have. What is your approach? What do you do? Do you do research? What do you do? Do you go at school and you ask somebody? Do do? Can you go a little bit deeper into that process that you have?
1: So. The reason I produce YouTube content is I wasn't content with what I found in my initial searches, especially when starting out. There's a lot of misinformation. Even now, there's, there's more stuff out there to get confused on. At it's the crazy. Time in, in, yeah. At the time in school, I would reach out to people that I trusted with math. For example, I would go to a couple of my professors. I had an economics professor named Thomas Rhodes, who I would wear out his office hours asking not economics questions. And I'm pretty (laughs) grateful to him. He was nice with me. But there are a lot of professors that are like, dude, get out of here. This isn't related to my course. Uh, But I would also look at a couple online communities for daily fantasy sports, for example. There's one called Roto Grinders. Uh, Now I'm realizing Reddit is a good source for that. There's plenty of Facebook groups. And for those things to work, I think you have to be as involved with engage, engaging and giving value as you are with um, with asking questions. That, to me, is something I've realized over time. If I'm just constantly taking, that's not going to create a good reputation for me. That's not going to make people more inclined to to help me out uh, because, you know, what what value are they getting out of it? So the more I think about this, whenever I would ask people for advice, let's say my professors, I'd be, hey, do you want a golf lesson? This is something I'm good at it. Uh, I, I can help you out if, if you help me out. It's, it's symbiotic. We both win. So I started with people back then. I think now, you know, seven, I guess, five, five six years later, there's a lot of resources on YouTube now. There's a lot of people on LinkedIn. There's there's bigger communities where you can maybe even have one-on-one interactions. Still on my YouTube channel, I answer almost every comment that I get or I try to, as long as it's not super broad and super vague. If you ask me a specific question like, hey, I'd, I'm interested in applying this statistics concept to this analysis I'm doing, I'll give you a, a one or two line answer that would hopefully help solve things. So I would have loved to yeah, I'm mean, going sound a little arrogant, but I would have loved to have had myself as a resource back then, or, or some of the other YouTubers that, that I'm friends with, you know, uh, the data professor or, um, you know, Danny Ma or some of these, these other people on LinkedIn. I mean, it's incredible what you can do if you're engaged in these communities. But, you know, if any of these people get a message or uh, a comment from someone they've never seen before, or who hasn't contributed, there's gonna be less incentive on their part uh, to, to respond because it's, who is this person? You know, if, if that person's commenting on everything, trying to add value to other people all the time, hell yeah, I'm gonna respond to that person. You know, that, that person's helping me out by answering some of the other questions if they know them as well. So um, I would always make sure, or, or I would recommend for anyone listening to this is, look at these things as a two-way street, absolutely use those resources, but try and provide value that's gonna get you so much further. And this is a life lesson
0: <laughs> not only about communities and this is so true even for LinkedIn, for for everything like you need to give something in order to receive you cannot just take and take and take it's not going to serve you well and but how do you go for uh, for those resources how, how do, because if you start like let's let's say that you you're just landed in this community what do you do how, how do you create somebody you need some skills first so what do you well well how would you start in those things
1: i would start with just basic google search right and then just experimenting for a little bit you know you get in excel you say oh you know this is um you know i i want to track my data right so the first thing you do is you, you aggregate the data if you have that data that's already value you can provide to someone else because you can share it right And so even if you're asking questions about it, it's like, well, I don't understand how this standard deviation or this z-score thing works. I have this data, I'd be happy to share it with you. Uh, You know, if you wanted to to use it for anything you're working with, it could be fun for you, whatever that might be. uh, If you can help me understand how this concept works, or at least give me a couple of resources for how this works. I think that generally just the thought of reciprocation Or the Mm -hmm. thought of creating value is usually enough. I mean, you should be willing to follow up with it, but, um, I I would say less than 2% of the people that reach out to me asking for help consider offering anything in return. And a lot of the times they're like, Hey, would you be willing to, uh, accept payment for, for this type of thing? And, you know, I'm probably never going to accept payment for doing the resume reviews or any of those things. Don't quote me on that. I still haven't figured out what that looks like. But um, <laughs> Yeah, you should do that. Man. Your, your resume looks great. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, it, I, I would rather someone be like, Hey, if you need some help doing admin work or you need help with data collection, um, I'd be happy to do that because, you know, frankly, any, <laughs> any amount of money, most people would be paying me right now for this stuff. It's not really worth my time. Right. I'm not going to take advantage of, of students who are looking to get jobs. That's not, that's not my, I mean, if we're looking at like my data science hourly rate, it's probably 10 times what what they could comfortably pay. So it's like, like, you know, let, let's try and ha- find an equivalent value money is not going to be the best medium of exchange here. Um, but again, that's how it would start. Is you start with experimenting, you start with making mistakes, you start going down the wrong path and you go down the wrong path for a while and that's okay. Uh, But that's how you learn, that's how you get better. And that's how you have something to show to a community. That's how you say, look, I tried these different things and none of them worked. I'm new to this, like, can anyone shine some light on this? There isn't, um, I, I don't think that there's a right place to start. You just have to start and go down some rabbit holes. And once you have some track record, just like anything else, if you have some experience, even if it's screwing up, you have a story to tell. And if you have stories to help, people are more likely to listen. Yeah. Yeah, great. And do you have any,
0: any particular community you were, you're more inclined to when, when asking questions related to data science? Uh, you, you mentioned a couple already, but if, can, can, you, uh,
1: can you be more specific about give me free? Yeah, so I think the biggest one is my, my YouTube community. Again, I'm very receptive there. I I try to answer almost every comment that I get. LinkedIn is also very powerful. I think that even if it might sound intimidating, but you can just pose a question on LinkedIn, say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Probably shouldn't be too code specific, but if it's conceptual, people usually jump in and help you, especially if you've built some connections there. And then I also think, I think Reddit is decent. There's a couple discord servers. There's one I'm missing out on. Um, if I think of it, I will try to let you know. <laughs> if if <laughs> it comes to me before the end of the interview. Sure. 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 We can come
0: back on that. We You don't have to answer, uh, right away. And those are great communities. And I just want to, um, uh, that once, once more, that your community is great and your videos are in on YouTube are really, really helpful. And I wish I I had them be, when I was doing my data science project because <laughs> I, I didn't know about that. And, uh, and 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 when I started to look at it, 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 you gave the answers like that. So, yeah. So another another thing that I wanted to ask you from before, you mentioned the imposter syndrome. That is something that is very uh, it's a terrible thing. <laughs> you, think like you, you, you feel like you're an imposter. You don't want to. You, you really feel like a fish out of the water. Um, I don't know if you can say that in, in the U.S. In Italy, we say fish out of the water when somebody's not comfortable. Uh, and so how did you overcome the imposter syndrome? What did you do? Do you, do you
1: remember? Uh, do you remember how it
0: felt like? And do you remember how, how to overcome that? How to overcome that?
1: Well, this might not be the answer you're looking for, but I don't think you ever Great. overcome imposter syndrome. And I also don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing. I think imposter syndrome is is an incredibly powerful motivating force, right? I don't want to be looked at like a fraud. I don't want to, people to think that I'm taking advantage of them. I don't want people to think that I'm not qualified. What can I do? You know, that, that drives me to produce better content. That drives me to make, um, you know, push my career position for that, that motivates me to do quite a few things. And if you're feeling it, you know, start doing projects, start doing data science work, start building your skill sets out. I mean that imposter syndrome is not a reason to stop doing what you're doing because you're always going to feel it. Imposter syndrome is a reason to really drive harder so that you at least ease it a little bit. I mean, I still constantly feel it. I mean, people, I, no one really, questions my credentials anymore ever because, you know, I have two master's degrees. I've worked in this field for quite a a while, but at the same time, you know, they, they question quite a few of the things that I say in my, in my videos, which I'm like, Oh shoot, did I get that statistics concept wrong? I haven't looked at it in seven years. I mean, like the, the, the thing that you have to understand is that, I mean, it's just a constant journey where there's gonna be ups and downs the whole way. I mean, you can't please everyone. You, you, you can't make everyone think that you're, you know, that you're the most knowledgeable or greatest guy out there. Um, and, and you shouldn't try. You should be really honest with what you know. Say, hey, for example, with my YouTube channel, there's plenty of concepts that I'm not very advanced on. I don't do a ton of deep learning. I just, that's just not a big part of my day-to-day job. I try and do some projects here and there. But if someone wants a deep learning tutorial, if someone wants a better understanding of that, I'm not gonna say I know that. I'm gonna bring someone in who is an expert in it and have them talk about it. Or I'm gonna try and do a project where I know that I'm not an expert in this and I'm, I'm building it out with you. So we're both learning at the same time. That creates value for me because there's accountability. And if I'm coming from it at that angle as a student all the time, how can someone get mad at me if I if I mess it up, right? It's like, well, you know, we're both learning here. And you might get someone in the comments that's like, hey, actually do it this way. It's a lot more effective. That's helping my learning to begin with. So, you know, in data science, you're very much like in golf, You're you're not successful all that often, right? You have to try a lot of things before you get a acceptable result. And you just want to make sure that you're not getting defeated or knocked down constantly. You just have to have the mindset where you're going to keep going going and keep learning all the time. And that really, in my mind, helps me ease any of those nervous feelings or that I'm not enough or that, um, you know, I'm not, you know, who I say I am, or I don't have the credibility. It's just like, look, like we're all students. We're going to continue to trudge forward. We're going to continue to learn and like treat, treat it like it's fun, right? Like, if, if you don't think data science is fun, if you don't think learning this stuff is fun, if you don't think solving these problems is fun, mean, you probably shouldn't should do it, right? <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of other ways to make really good money, more money than a data scientist makes. I mean, software engineers have uh, very comparable incomes. It's probably the barrier to entry into becoming a software engineer is a little bit lower because there's, It's a lot easier to evaluate the performance of software engineers, right? I mean, you know, I might be going down a little rabbit hole here, but no, no. Like the 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 idea is that you know, if you get away from what other people think and you're doing it for the enjoyment of it or because you're interested in it, um, you know, when I'm coding, right, I don't think about what other people think of me. When I'm doing a project, I don't think like, oh, other are other people going to think this is good. No, I'm thinking about the project. I'm thinking about um, you know why I want to solve this problem or what what the problem is gonna result in. Once you're working in the process, once you're diving into the process, all these all these thoughts go away, or they should. Um, so do more work, think less. You know, that's moral of the story. (laughs) Kinda went around and about there, but hopefully there was No, no,
0: no, 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 but and I think I think it everything you're saying uh doing the whole the whole thing is so valuable yeah because it um, and I, I i thought about going into data science for a lot of lot of time and it is so cool to hear for, from somebody like you that you had the same thoughts that i had and you overcame that right and and so and so it is truly very cool <laughs> so thank you for the, all the value that you're bringing here Uh, Another question I would ask, uh, because we're talking for a lot, and I don't want to steal a lot of your time, but I do have a lot of questions. (laughs) So, uh, can you walk me through a day-to-day routine? Uh, What what is your day-to-day like? So, for people that don't know, uh, now it's 8.20, I believe, uh, in your, your time, PST. And, and, uh, and we started the call at 7.30, so you're sure you're an early guy? <laughs>
1: yeah. early. Well, so can you walk uh, me through your routine as a data scientist so, or what do you do on day to day? Yeah, so all my clients are on, I'm in the US and I'm on Hawaii time, which is six hours ahead of Eastern time where most of my clients are. So I'm waking up at most mornings at around like noon their time or a little earlier than that maybe like 11am 10am their time so wow. everyone else has had a little bit of a head start on the day compared to me but in my mind this this means you know this means that i have a lot more time at night even though i'm a morning person to to be effective yeah. and i can get ahead on work when they're done working or whatever that might be but a normal day i wake up at between 5 and 7am. I don't set any alarms because, you know, and unless I have any meetings, but I, I usually wake up pretty reliably ar- around that time period. I read a book a while ago called why we sleep. Yeah. And it talks great about book. The, yeah. It t- I mean, it talks about the importance of sleep and um, I, that's something I really wanted to put a priority on. And that's why I've just done away with the alarm Fox. I think that I feel more energetic, more rested. My My body is, you know, I have lost aches and pains, whatever that might be. But so I wake up in that window. I usually get up. I have some coffee. I'll, the first thing I do with mint, is mint, Right. You I said that before. Ex- exactly. <laughs> I, I like it with mint. I, I don't do any uh, true calories or like any sugar. So I, I, I've been fasting for a while. So I don't, I don't eat oh, anything oh. until, until noon or one. Yeah, I don't think
0: we want to go into that because I've been fasting for two years. Yeah,
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah, Yeah. a long rabbit hole, but I mean, it helps me stay more productive or more focused, whatever it might be. Hundred percent. Just quick um, follow up:
0: what what kind of fasting are you doing? I know it's intermittent, but what what kind of fasting do you do? What
1: what do you do? I do eight sixteen. Yeah, I I I, same thing. It it fluctuates. It'll be between I'll fast between sixteen and twenty hours every day sometimes more and like some Mondays I just won't eat and then at the beginning of the year I do a three-day water fast um, just you know you, you, you start the year off right my birthday's on the fourth so I do <laughs> so January you destroy yourself and- to my birthday and then like my birthday dinner I have to eat a little bit beforehand just so I don't like get sick but uh, you know the birthday <laughs> dinner that's when food food never tastes as good as it does after you've not eaten for a couple of days. Yeah. Right. You know, you're yeah. like, you eat like a nice steak, <laughs> but, but I digress. So, but, so, you know, I, um, I'll try to, I'll try to wake up, uh, with the coffee. The first thing I usually do is I check all of my metrics. So I look at YouTube. I look at a bunch of the income sources that I have and I, I track all the income that I make. I also look at all of the- First thing, this is the first thing you do after the coffee. Yeah. And then I go through and I look at all of the, um, like like what I did yesterday. And I have a kind of checklist where I track my my goals and those things. And and there's another book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. And it talks about lead and lag metrics. So I really try and focus on lead metrics. Lead metrics are things that are highly- Can you tell me one more time? The, okay, so the name of the book? The Four Disciplines of Execution. By? Uh, I have no clue. Um, okay, no no worries, no worries, we'll, we'll find it. But um, but so the idea is if you wanna lose weight, right, you don't track how much, you don't necessarily track your weight, that's not gonna change, you're not gonna have an impact on that on a day-to-day basis, right? Unless you no. don't eat for a couple of days, I mean, you might lose a pound or two, but um, on the other hand, if you track every day, if you went to the gym and how many calories that you consume, or if you consume the correct number of calories, if you do those things every day, you're gonna lose weight in the longer term. And those are things you have control over, complete control over every day. You have control of how much you eat and you have control over if you go exercise or not, right? So you wanna track the things that you have control over and they'll eventually predict the end goal. So for example, I track, Obviously my success on YouTube, but I also track just how many YouTube videos I make, right? Or how much time I've spent making YouTube videos. Because if I I know if I make YouTube videos and they're good, I'll I'll grow on that platform. So you you get the same feeling of success if you're checking the box for, hey, I just made a new video, as you do as oh hey, this video was super successful. And again, you want to track things that you have complete control over. So like you control your own destiny a lot more. You're less worried about the random noise that could, could affect performance on any of those other things. So I do that, I track my stats. Uh, I usually, I'm most productive in the morning. So from around 7.30 or eight to about 11, I get most of my quantitative work done. So if I have some coding to do, I'll do that. If, if I I'll sometimes shoot video in the morning or edit video, It's not the most effective use of my time because I can edit video in the afternoon and not be tired. But I'll I'll pretty much try and do all of my coding between before lunch. Then I will take usually a 30 or 40 minute break for the last two weeks or three, no, well last three weeks, I've been doing yoga every day. I've been having some back issues and neck issues. So that's been really helping. So I'll do about 30 to 45 minutes of yoga and then I'll eat my first meal. And then I come back, I'll do some video editing, some, some YouTube stuff, um, and follow up with mostly emails or any interviews that I have i I've been trying to do interviews later, but since the, the time difference, most people prefer my time for interviews. So that sometimes creeps into my quantitative work. And then, uh, the last, I've been trying to get back into playing a lot more golf. So I've been trying to go to the golf course in the afternoons get around and I've actually met some really cool people that have been very good potentially career-wise as well interested a lot in the same type of investment stuff and and doing some businesses together and it's weird and serendipitous how those things work so that's a part of my life I definitely want to keep going it's been an awesome way to, to network and meet people especially in Hawaii when all the beaches are shut down and you have to social distance a ton and um, know, golf the golf course is like the only thing that's open, so uh, I might as well milk it. Get outside, and you can. As if you're watching the video, you can see my wicked golf tan. So,
0: and this is a reason to to watch the video is to yeah, see the yeah.
1: <laughs> that see how red the... my face and neck are, and how white my <laughs> the edge so of my chest is. Yeah,
0: yeah, but definitely, like the sport, uh, it is the, one of the best way to to network effectively and to have fun at the same time. I yeah. find that all the time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a college, uh, I'm, a, I'm a student athlete as well. I play soccer, but I'm getting into the gym a lot. And I really love sport as a, uh, I love doing them. I love the competition. I love to have fun with them. You know, sports are great. And, and yeah. it is great that you do all your work in the morning and then sport in the afternoon, right? Is that the thing?
1: Yeah, for, for the most part. Um, You know, touching on what you said with being a student athlete or, or, you know, still playing a lot of golf like myself. I mean, that's always a talking point. If it's, it's a little bit, I don't know if it's disappointing, but it's, um, I think it is a idiosyncrasy of business that it is so tied to conversation and their personal skills. And in most business circles, like sports are really closely tied to interpersonal skills. I mean, they have been forever. And being able to talk about you being a student athlete, that's an automatic talking point that's interesting to other people. For me, like, if I tell them that I play golf, or that, you know, I played professionally, or I played in college, whatever that might be, people are always interested in hearing those stories. They're always interested in establishing a further connection on that, right? I mean, everyone's like, oh, you know, I'm a terrible golfer, but I love it. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, you, it always goes down some weird rabbit hole, and you you, you know, you you become friends or whatever that might be. Yeah,
0: but you can teach them, you can invite them to the golf if you are exactly, interested. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, absolutely. And so,
1: maybe you
0: can do that in soccer because in soccer, you know, it's difficult yeah. to get, you need to be a little bit more athletic. But I'm trying to go over some gym stuff to, to
1: work well, on that. I, I think, in a broader picture, the idea is not that uh, you have to play a sport to be able to to communicate, but you should think about what are common communication topics? What are things people are generally interested in? you know? And learn up on them or or have some uniqueness about yourself. I mean, I I get dinged all the time on like dates and stuff for example, because I've never watched The Office. I don't enjoy shows. I I really, I I just don't get it. I feel like watching shows for me is a waste of time because of that opportunity concept. What else could I be doing? But like, those are some of the most normal ways people connect with each other when you're first meeting, right? It's like, oh, have you seen, uh, have you watched Game of Thrones? Like, or, you know, I have watched Game of Thrones, but. Um, <laughs> Me but, too. Know, these, I forced myself and watched it, was, yeah. uh, but it was great. Cool. But, 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 you know, those are the things that you have to think about when you're communicating is like, maybe you're not that good at networking, but like, what are, just, what are things people like, learn how to talk about them? Um, it, there are, you know. We we had a really good head start because sports are an interesting topic. We both played them. But, you know, that's not something everyone else can't learn from is that, hey, like, you know, learn about sports, learn about, you know, some fascinating concept of the economy that people are going to find interesting. Learn about, you know, know, know the most about agriculture. People are going to find it interesting. They're like, oh, you know, actually, you're walking down the road and like, oh, this is, these are eight different types of fauna that I've seen. Um <laughs> But I, I digress. I, I just think that's something I always want to bring up because, you know, people don't think of data science, a very technical field, as being uh, soft at all. But the interview process is all interpersonal, well, half interpersonal skills and then some technical skills.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and so like, just finish the part of your day, You, uh, what about your evening? So in the, in the oh. afternoon, you <clears throat> try to play some sports. And in the
1: evening? The evening, I'll usually, I'm boring, I'll just come home and eat dinner and then I will read or I'll answer a lot of YouTube comments, LinkedIn comments, uh, emails, just probably not the best way to end my day. I I, I put all of my technology outside of my room when I go to bed though. So I feel like that's at least a, a good way to completely disconnect. Um, yeah all right yeah we don't want to go into that rabbit hole
0: because these interviews are already one hour long and uh, because i have so much to say about them that's
1: cool there's a lot of the productivity stuff that i'm fascinated with i i think that you know we're part of the excitement of life is understanding how to optimize or become the best self yeah and maybe one day i'll make another youtube channel that talks specifically about that stuff but I feel like maybe I have to be a bit more successful before uh, before people really tune in and and listen to my my life advice outside of data Ooh. science advice. So well, I
0: don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I think for like I was thinking about that too. Doing uh, maybe we we can we can do a collaboration yeah. on that. Yeah. I'd love that. I'd love that. So people in the in people that who are listening to this, please let let us know if, yeah, us you know. Are, if you're interested in those kind of things. Because yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We we I promise nice the videos program.
1: will be a little, a little bit more concise.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a long. I I will put like uh, notes and so people can jump on, uh, where the the point they 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 like most. So I, but we don't want to keep them for hours. Of course, of course. <laughs> and I feel like we can do, but uh, yeah. So so a number of things that I would ask for you is what kind of resources or what kind of skills would you would you go back and, and learn as a college student? What, what what do you think in order to break into data science, we're always talking about data science, what, what would you what would you what would you say there are the biggest and the and the best resources to learn?
1: So the there, there are two things that will go the furthest in getting you a data science job or probably any job in general. And the first is having a track record, right? And so that is either through internships, jobs, projects, volunteer work, whatever that might be. And so for me, I would have spent more time pursuing those opportunities and building out a track record, right? The second thing is, um, well, actually, I want to continue on the track record path. What I've done, hopefully, with YouTube or what I've really strived to do over the past year is to create um enough critical mass that things are attracted to me, right? If I have enough content out there, if I have enough of a brand, if I have enough of a presence, opportunities come to me rather than me having to go out and get them. And you think about that like a planet, right? If a planet is large enough, it has a gravitational pull and it'll bring things towards it. If it's small enough, it'll get pulled towards, I mean, it'll still have gravitational pull, but it'll get pulled more towards other things, um, et cetera. So for me- Yeah. So for me, I wish I had started creating that gravitational force earlier. I wish I had started producing content and sharing it. I wish I had started, you know, connecting with people on LinkedIn. I wish I had started Going out and building a network building again this track record this brand, whatever that might be. If I had that. It's not just, you know, sponsorship opportunities or partnership opportunities or interview opportunities that I get now. If I'd done that earlier, job opportunities actually would come to me. Re- recruiters are reaching out to you because they're seeing what you post on LinkedIn, they're seeing your videos, they're seeing whatever that might be. So that is something which might not be um, might not be super concrete, but that's something that I think pays incredible dividends going forward. Is if you've built that and I'm learning that now and I'm really focusing this year on building that out but you know think about that what that does if you're in college now what that does for you in five years right I mean you might have uh, an audience or a website that you could even make money off of right or you might have um, a ton of different job opportunities where you can actually take the job of your dreams because you have so many other options and you can really pursue different opportunities so thinking in the long term with creating this critical mass is, is something that I know I, you know at the time I, I didn't have the wherewithal to do, but it's crazy to think about where I could be if I had started building that out earlier, or my own brand or network, or whatever that might be. Um, I guess this now kind of goes in line with that. The second thing is to just work on interpersonal skills, work on connecting with people pretty much every data scientist I've ever talked to, I mean, we're talking 50 plus, I don't think more than one or two of them have gone through traditional means of getting a data science job. That Mm -hmm. means they go on LinkedIn, they go on Glassdoor, they go through the interview process and they get the job. Like 90%, 99% of the people that I've talked to, I guess 98, there's only been one that has gone through the traditional path uh, of of around 50 plus, um, (laughs) have either been referred, by a friend into a company, or they've worked with a recruiter to go and get that job, right? So, you know, you're talking about not necessarily a shortcut, but you're talking about maximizing your opportunities. It doesn't come from just sending out, uh, you know, 100, 100 different applications. It comes from maybe finding 10 friends and going through, you know, 10 employee referrals. There's a positive incentive for them to do that, most employee referrals get a little stimulus bonus as well, so the incentive system lines up a lot better, and it could potentially save you a lot of time and effort, right? I mean, rather than sending out 100 applications, you could probably send out 10 employee referrals and have the same interview success. I mean, inter- yeah. uh, probability of getting that first interview and probably increase your chances of getting a job. So, yeah. and you build the time things-
0: wiser, and you build some some some. Relationship as well, not only just applying online and and losing time on that thing. That is the most boring thing in the world, at least for me.
1: Yeah. Well, something that I recommend is really spending time in your applications, writing cover letters, making your resume unique to each position. And it's hard to do that for a hundred different things. But if you're thinking about it, every time you don't do that, you're decreasing your chances by a couple percent here and there, and you're you're actually hurting yourself. So it's it's you know. If you're just opportunity to cost job, yeah exactly opportunity cost you want to work um i i think a few really good promising opportunities are always better than the shotgun approach mm-hmm. um, yeah because just like data science where you're honing in on individual projects and you're going to put your best foot forward you're going to learn the most when you're focusing on just one or two things that have concrete outcomes same thing with the job approach if you're really focusing on getting one or two or three positions like i don't know the, the world has a strange way of zoning in on that and and really highlighting the value you can provide in those positions mm-hmm.
0: and what about any technical skills you would suggest like talking about real because this is great but you have yep. to have some skills as well obviously especially in data science that is a very difficult <laughs> very difficult field to break into what, what would you say um meaning uh, languages to learn, libraries to, to get to know, um,
1: you know, those, those, yeah, those, so those kind of things. I, I think having an understanding of Python, the main data science packages are Pandas, NumPy, Scikit-learn, yeah. Matplotlib, but even more valuable than that is there's two skills that I think are, are really important. The first is learning how to find and understand documentation. So all of these Python, uh, all these packages are documented very well, you know by the people that create them. There's tons of examples there. And just going through that, understanding how it works, um, for any package that you that you try out is going to be more valuable than like memorizing the, the the different methods that are used, right? So I would highly recommend people focus on understanding how to pick up things quickly through documentation. through googling or through stack overflow learning how to write a good google search probably is worth more than you know memorizing 20 of the methods that are most commonly used in pandas because i can always just look them up right so uh, you know i heard a while ago which is an interesting concept to me is that you should never organize your email inbox my email inbox i have like thousands of unreads i have all these things but At the same time, I know how to use the search in my inbox very effectively if I'm looking for something, right? Mm -hmm. And I can also set up the filters very effectively for if something is going to be important or it's from a a subscriber, it goes into a certain folder. But, you know, most of the stuff you get is just garbage and you waste a lot of time just sifting through it, right? You can always Mm hire an assistant or something like that down the road. But if you get really good at the search, you don't have to worry about a lot of that other stuff. Right. Same thing with data science, if you get really good at understanding where to look for content or where to look for the answers or uh, how to properly ask the questions, you, you, you save most of your time and, and you learn a lot faster because you're able to just like work on projects, you're able to do stuff uh, at, at a lot higher clip. So people are so worried about, oh, I should learn this technical skill and this technical skill. If you look at the job descriptions, They'll have thousands, like like the amount of technical skills that you should know is absurd. It's not something anyone can learn, right? But if mm-hmm. you're familiar with all those things and you know how to go about like, you know, calling out the answers or, or working with them, like you'll be fine. That's, that's all that should be reasonably expected of anyone. So learn how to pick it up quick, learn how to forget it quick and come back to it if you need it. <laughs> great great i love i love those advices and uh
0: uh yeah and, okay so uh, we, this has been truly a wonderful conversation and uh we want to keep it uh reasonable, <laughs> reasonable now, yeah and so if you want to i have so many questions more, like very, yeah. a lot of them to ask so if people are interested in that uh please let, let me know and let us know and we will do a round two if you're okay with that. Yeah, and no, go maybe no, no. In, more, in more questions. And But do you have any parting thoughts for, for, for the audience, for for um, for people, for students and, and recent grads? Anything you would say at least that people should remember?
1: And uh, the perfect way to close the interview, what is it for Kat? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think one thing that isn't talked about enough yeah. in Any type of career path and any type of success path the number one determining factor for most people is the mindset that you have And so there's if you're familiar with any I guess the kind of self help methodology The number one thing that you want to develop is a growth mindset over a fixed mindset limiting beliefs or what, what characterizes a fixed mindset are the things that that holds you back from any true success in the data science field or in the field of your choosing developing a growth mindset where you're like okay maybe i can't do this right now but it's completely within my capability to for example learn data science or to, or to pick up this this package down the road or to start a youtube channel or whatever that might be that is something that is so powerful because you're giving you're leaving the door open for success down the road if you if you're saying to yourself, I can't learn this, I can't become a data scientist because of X, Y, Z, you're never gonna become a data scientist because you don't think you can. And so, I mean, I, you know, I, completely realistic, I'm never gonna to jump to the moon, but you know, I think you'll really surprise yourself if you believe you can do things and you leave the door open to success and realize that you're not the same person tomorrow that you were today. You can grow, you can expand, and, and that takes time. But the one of the reasons I track my performance every day is I can look back a month ago. Oh, you know, I look back three months ago or, or five months ago, and I say, oh, I had 3,000 subscribers on YouTube at the beginning of the year. Six months later, I'm at 80,000. And each day, it felt really slow, right? Each day, it's like, well, you know, I, I got a couple here, a couple there, and then I was starting to get more. In the moment, it feels incredibly. So even days when I had a thousand subscribers, it's like, you know, that's, that's not, that's not moving as fast as I would like it to be. But now I look back and it's like, Oh my goodness, I've come so far. So don't sell yourself short, develop a growth mindset. Uh, if you're interested in learning data science, if you're interested in more streamlined videos about how that works and and what a life in the field is like, definitely check out my YouTube channel. I'm active on Twitter as well. And I, I accept most connection requests on LinkedIn. So <laughs> love to connect, help you build that critical mass, help you build your network, and hopefully help you land a data science job or, or you know, whatever, whatever you're trying to do uh, within this domain.
0: Well, we'll uh, this is the perfect closure, I think. And is, this is a, a skill that has no time and truly wonderful. And if you believe you can do it, you can do it and just you truly have to believe that and do everything that takes so thank you very much ken uh that was this was great and uh yeah
1: thank you thank you so much for having me on
0: and there you have it beautiful people uh episode number 16 with ken Uh, I wanted to remind you a couple of things before you go away. First thing, join our Slack community. Uh, It it is live and online and we're doing great stuff in there. You You can be in touch with the podcast, with all the news regarding the podcast, with all the partners that we have, network with peers, network with mentors. It is just a safe place for students and I hope it will grow more and more and more. After that, check us out on youtube if you prefer to see my ugly face and ken's beautiful face go to youtube and search for this episode i do have um, every other episode as well starting from uh, episode number 10 with austin Uh, so check us out in there as well and on the instagram page we have an instagram account and we're putting some content in there that will help you out during your college career and more so check us out